welcome listeners. Thank you again for tuning in to the AFC podcast episode 20. We are Yeah, we've been around a minute. That's two tens. Twenty-one, because our episode is episode zero. Dang, and another episode added to the roster. Look at that, guys. We just have like forty-five hours of content for you. You're welcome. That's all we have to say. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Of course, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Castbox, and of course. Here we are on YouTube. Look at our lovely faces. We're back. We're back in it. It's been a minute. We haven't recorded a podcast in a while. No, but I'm excited because today we are going to have Rogan Jessamine. She is, uh, sorry, Jessamine. I got her name corrected. Rogan Jessamine. She is an actor and producer, and she is also the artistic director of Elemental Women's Productions. They are uh, a full production company that do theater and film. They do a lot of really great work, so I'm excited to have her on and talk to her today. She also suggested uh, Molly's Game as our video movie watch party of the week. So, From 2017, you know, back before the end times. Oh, yeah. Before the disaster of coronavirus swept the nation, before we got rocked with a hurricane about a week ago from when we're filming this podcast, you know, just, I feel like every couple of weeks, God throws a stone. He's just like, nah, let's mess with them today. Let's do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone, not even just the hurricane, the explosion in Beirut. Yeah. whole thing. Jeez. See, this is what happens when we take off of the podcast for too long. We have to keep it going. Yep. See, we were going to record last week, and things just got out of hand, and then the hurricane, and then everybody lost Wi-Fi, and here we are. <laughs> Later. I got a new job. I'm working a new job. I'm keeping busy. I shot a wedding recently, and... None of the people at the wedding knew coronavirus had ever even happened. Everybody was pretending it didn't exist. So that was weird, but still fun to kind of do something that I used to do before the end of the world. Um, What's going on with you? Catch me up, man. Uh, Well, I had uh, the, yeah, please look like that the entire time. So expectedly, (laughs) Um, I had the... uh, Virtual production of my play Scar Tissue went up with She NYC. Um, so we had our closing night party and everything, which was a virtual, obviously. That was fun. Um, so next year, if we did the virtual presentation this year, we're guaranteed a performance slot for the live festival next year. So knock on wood, we get a handle on this and we actually get to finally do it live. Um, and my new play with Dignity is going to have uh, – a virtual presentation as well later this month. Um, it goes up live August 25th at 7 p.m. So I'm in the middle of working on recording that with, with my cast. So Right. So remember last time when you said, I never want to film these types of things again. Yeah. Said, cool. I'm going to write a whole nother play and record a whole nother performance of said play the same way again. Except this time, I actually found a different way to do it. Um, it's, have you heard of StreamYard? 
StreamYard, no. Um, so it actually might be something we want to check into for the podcast, but you can have multiple people on at the same time. You can have them backstage. You can have them live. You can share your screen. You can record it. You can live stream it to YouTube or other locations. Um, so what I'm, what I'm doing with this is I'll be able to control. I'm not acting in this one. Um, so I can just be there bring people on screen and off screen. I'll be like the little puppet master, letting people on screen and off screen at the same time. Um, the actual title, you'd be the technical director. Thank you. I like puppet master better, but we'll go with technical director, I guess. <laughs> puppet master extraordinaire. So, yes, even though I said I never want to do that ever again, we are in... COVID times, so I need, if I need to get my play out there and this is the only way to do it, then it's how I'm going to do it. You're like, I've played every video game I possess three times over. I have watched every movie on my shelf. I have nothing else to do. I'm just anxiously waiting for the next Mafia game to come out. They pushed back. It's supposed to come out this month. They pushed it back to September. Mm. So... That's the next big game I am waiting for. Right. I, I recently got the beta for the Avengers video game, and it's both good and awful. Yeah, I've heard mixed things about it's, it. It's very mixed. It's, uh, there's only four characters you can play as right now. Iron Man, uh, Black Widow, Hulk, and then a newish character that some people don't know about, Miss Marvel or Kamala Khan a Indian, young Indian girl, I believe she's Indian, not really sure, Middle Eastern, whatever, um, from New Jersey, who is obsessed with superheroes, and Captain Marvel especially is her favorite. So when she all of a sudden unlocks these superpowers for herself, basically becomes like Miss Marvel, she calls herself, wants to be Captain Marvel. Uh, but... Yeah, so she's teamed up with the Avengers, and the Avengers are doing a whole thing, and Thor's going to be in it, and Captain America. It's fun. And obviously, I'm a huge nerd. I don't think anyone that watched our podcast so far has gotten that. Right, exactly. It it's, doesn't show. It's very clear who I am as a person. <laughs> uh, I, I thought the game is, I've been playing it a little bit. It's fun. It's fun. But because it's still in, like, the beta stages and it's not, like, fully launched yet, there's so many problems that I find. And I just get frustrated. Because you know what it is? I love these characters too much. So when one little thing is wrong with it, I'm like, ah, it kills me. It kills me. Uh, but besides that, I've been playing The Ghost of Tsushima. I'm still playing that. Very cinematic, very cool game. Uh, we keep doing game talks on this filmmaker podcast, and honestly, I'm not even mad at it because half of these games are like movies playing out. So. That's true. That is very true. But how about we get back to the film talk and let's bring Brogan on, and we can talk yeah. to her about the stuff she's been doing. Yes, so we have a clip for Brogan. It is called, had it right here, and then it ran away from me. Nope, here it is. It's called A Series on Surviving. We do want to give a disclaimer for this clip, not for anything too crazy, but the fact that there is no dialogue, there is no spoken word. So if you are listening to this podcast, 
now is a good time to quickly switch over to the YouTube, jump to this point in the podcast. It's all the same timestamps, so you should be able to just get over there on YouTube, watch this clip, and then if you just want to listen to us, hop back over to the other medium of podcast you were listening to. If not, stick with us on YouTube because that's more fun. Why not? Uh, but let's go to a series on surviving, and then we're going to bring Brogan on, and we'll talk to her. clip from a series on surviving and we're back with Brogan Jessamine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in the industry in general. So how did, how did you jump into this? Um, I mean I was one of those kids that was sent to like those weekend like acting classes. I think my mom just tried to get rid of me. Um, but it ended up being like one of those things where it like grew into me like actually doing shows and things like that. Um, and then I think I was around 17 and I was like, I'm going to go to New York. And um, yeah, I got into a, like an acting school over here, came over and then pursued my career in acting. And then I think it was like mm, 2018 that I kind of got annoyed at the industry a little bit. Um, and what was happening and kind of was like, well, I'm going to do it myself then. And yeah. And then my friend and I, we formed Elemental Women Productions, which is our company. And then we went full on into producing like women's works and making sure that that representation was in there. Yeah. Right. Nice. Now, it, I, I see you told us that, or at least some information on the website indicates that you guys try to keep the crew and everybody involved in all your projects about 75% women. Yes. Is that like easy to do or is it harder to do? Are there less women in the industry? I mean, it's harder like upfront. A lot of it is like, we sat down and like a lot of times you're like, okay, who do we know first of like, cool, we're starting this project. Who do we know? And we start filling like roles that way. And then we got to certain things. We got to like, I know a lot of, like, female stage managers. I know like, a lot of female directors. But when we got to, like, female cinematographers, that was something that was harder for us to find, um, which was an odd thing because we were sitting there thinking, who do we know? And I was like, I don't know if I know anyone. Um, but, yeah, so sometimes it's super easy. Sometimes we're like, cool, we know people, or people we know know people, um, and we interview them and we talk to them that way. Um, Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, depends on what the role is. But yeah, it's harder than I thought it would be to just, with even within my circle, be like, hey, reaching out, who would know this pe person? Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of searching. I was reading an article recently, and it's not necessarily about gender, but it's more about race in, in Disney. And they talk about how 90% of the people that work on Disney films are white men. Yeah. So they were trying to explain like, you know, we need to diversify the crew and, you know, bring more people into the fray and just try to spread it out because it's just all white men. Yes. Which I know I, I'm great, but, you know, there's a lot of other great people too. 
that deserve to work on really cool projects and fun stuff and especially the types of projects that you're actually putting together. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the projects that you and your company have put together? So we do a lot of, I mean, depending on the day. Um, we started with kind of like, everything has to be 75% women or non-binary artists. Um, and all of the projects we do have to be written by women and directed by women. That's like requirements, like straight up, like that's, there's no negotiating on it. Um, and so we started with a smaller play that we developed from a stage reading into a full production that was two women and they have to like somehow be relatable. So we had, we talked about like mental health and like moving on in your life and like leaving one situation to go to another when your life kind of falls apart um, in our first production. Um, and then we moved on to a podcast where we did like women in history that were overlooked and that was fun because we got to research a whole bunch of people. Um, we also do like families of like family dynamics when your parents like divorce and like what that looks like with families changing. Um, and then most recently, well, in December, we did a, our first film, which was a series on surviving from the clip, um, which is the inner monologues of sexual assault survivors after they've experienced assault. Um, so it started as like poems and then we developed them into a film. So it's all like silent videos, MOS video with voiceovers for their like inner thoughts running through their heads. Um, and what we do is we make sure that 20% of our pro pro proceeds or profits, depending on which one we're doing, um, get donated to an organization that's doing the work on the ground to kind of further the cause that we're talking about. So we donated all of our profits from that film to RAIN, um, the National Helpline. And then we do different things. So we have a film that's currently in postponement from COVID that is all about socks and stealing your siblings' clothing, um, which we did a lot as I grew up with three sisters. That's what we did. Um, and so that is like all of those socks that we got we rose like bleh, words. We ra we raised um, about three hundred and fifty dollars worth of socks that we got, and then we partnered with a female-run sock company over in Oregon, and they sent us a whole bunch of socks. And all those socks are then being donated onto the women and family shelters within New York City. So we do a lot of like stuff like that. So a lot of our causes are bigger or very small and very niche but we're moving into how do we help the community and further those causes outside of just building awareness within the arts that's awesome that's really cool because i mean you know it's it is our job as artists to talk about the work and shed light on certain things um but you know it's really easy just you know write something or produce something put it out there and hope that the work itself speaks enough for the cause but to add another layer to it and actually help uh, on the ground like you said help these these teams and these organizations that are on the ground that's that's awesome and i really admire that you guys do that with your projects yeah. um so you do both theater and film yeah um started with theater when did you decide to kind of shift and start adding film into your repertoire of things that your company does so a lot of it was when a series on surviving kind of became like an idea. Um, it was kind of one of those things where we were like, okay, like we had the poems. We were like, okay, this isn't really something that we thought we could really 
that we couldn't do justice to it with theater, we didn't feel. Um, theater sometimes like lives a lot in hyperbole and like giants than that. Um, and we wanted it very much to be putting the focus on the survivor and like immersing the people in that. And it felt like film was the best medium for it. And we, I also had the cool idea of just doing it all in voiceover so that we didn't have to do crazy audio in New York City streets. <laughs> That's always the biggest problem is whenever it, like we get the perfect shot and like the audio guy at the end of the shot after it all pans out because he doesn't want to interrupt the scene or anything. He just goes, yeah, there was a plane flying over. It ruined everything. Yeah, there's a car horn somewhere. Like Traffic right outside. That is terrible. The homeless man outside my window screaming about bagels or something. <laughs> a staple of New York. That's kind of yeah. a production problem for most yeah. people. Yeah. So it was kind of when that project kind of came into actual development that we were like, okay, we're going to do film. This is going to work. We're going to figure it out. We know enough people who can tell us if we're doing something completely wrong. Um, and that's how we did it. And it's kind of been more fun in a different way. Cause like you get to like, I love theater. That's like my base. I get to like go, go on stage. There's an audience. It's great. You get to feel that audience and that energy transfer. Um, but yeah, I think there are just certain stories that work so much better in a film format. Um, you also get to like do really cool tricks with camera work, which is really fun. So we have a couple films that we're doing or like developing right now, particularly because theater is not necessarily the most available currently. So we're getting to do those things and like transfer things and make things work. And yeah, I like it. It's a fun time. What, uh, what other projects besides uh, the Socks project are you, are you guys working on? So we just finished our first virtual theater reading, which was a interesting learning experience with Zoom and everything. Um, and that was Meet Me at Dawn by Zinni Harris. It was also the first play that we've done that's like a published play, which was really fun. Um, and we donated 20% of proceeds to LGBTQIA plus um, organizations for that. Um, and then what we're doing next is we start development for our film partial program um, this month. So we're doing our first development reading of like sitting down with a cast and laying it all out and seeing what everything that needs to be fixed, what's terrible about this script and like what do we need to throw out and completely redo. Um, so we start that and that's all about like, um, like partial programs for eating disorder recovery. And then we also have another reading that we just got the rights for for a play that's all about chronic pain for women with endometriosis and things like that and how it affects your relationships and the different structures of relationships that you have. Um, so that's the next one. That'll be in September. That's another virtual theater world reading situation. Yeah. Those are the two currently. Like this is, yeah. We'll see what happens after that. There's like, I know everything is so up in the air and you just have no idea. Like, I like you want to plan for yeah. the next thing, but if you get too far into your plans, and you know, COVID has just shown us that you know it can literally upend everything, and you have to be able to roll with the punches. <laughs> yeah. But those projects sound awesome, and I'm I'm really excited to see them. I'm I'm upset because I've I've been following you guys yeah. for a little while now on on Instagram, and um, I wanted to catch the Meet Me at Dawn, but for you know multiple reasons, I just wasn't able to be there live. But I'm excited to see these these upcoming yeah. ones. 
upcoming. Yeah, the Meet Me at Dom one was interesting because we had, I'm in New York, but the, um, our company member, Yasmin, um, she found the play. She was the one the reason that we got the rights, things like that. She's actually at home in Scotland right now. So mm. we were doing it like transatlantically. Like I was in New York, she was in Scotland. We were like reading at the same time. What's um, the difference there? It's five hours. So we had eight o'clock showing in Scotland, a three o'clock showing in New York. And then we had friends in California tuning in. And I'm like, guys, it's like noon for you. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it was fun. It was like a cool way of having like an international audience. It was like kind of nice. Zoom, like, you know, there are new things that everything happens, like, right? <laughs> Zoom is a thing. <laughs> but that is the, the, for all of the negatives and the detractors for, you know, for the world that we're living in and the fact that we can't be on stage together to do these readings and we can't be in on a set together to film these things. It's still, it's kind of cool that, like, people from all over the world can can tune into these things. I had a, a virtual presentation of my play yeah. and my director um, is in England. She's in, in Birmingham. So she she was able to catch it and watch it even though she's all the way over there and her family could finally really see it. Um, so it's that's a nice thing about all of this stuff is that we're all able to still kind of connect no matter yeah. where we are. That's a big one. That's the other thing that happened is like my family for the first time in like eight years were like able to see me like perform live, which is like such a weird thought. I was like, oh wait, they're able to see this for like a really long time since I like left uh, without having to like fly over and everything like that. And they're like sitting at home, like on their couch, which yeah. is also nice. You know what I mean? You get to sit at home or like we had someone watching from a beach. I was like, this is great. Like, perfect way to watch theater, really. Just sit on a beach, like, with your drink of choice and snacks of choice and watch some theater. This yeah. gives me an idea. Victoria, I think we need to relocate where we shoot the podcast. <laughs> we want to shoot from a beach? <laughs> I just want to go to the beach. We, we should go to the different beaches, safe distance, but, you know, kill the beach. I mean, I'm not opposed to that idea. <laughs> this is why we bring guests on the podcasts, because they gave us great ideas, and now the podcast is going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to the beach idea. <laughs> Whoever that, that patron was who decided to watch you reading from the beach. Yeah, very site-specific. <laughs> about the beach for three episodes now. <laughs> So you also, we ask each of our guests um, to suggest a film for us to watch. Um, it's become frequently my favorite thing about doing this podcast because I'm watching so many things that I've either had on my list to watch forever or never even heard of. Heard of Molly's Game, never watched it. Why did you decide to choose Molly's Game? Um, I think, I mean, one, I love Jessica Chastain, but um, aside from that, I think it's such a cool, I love plays or movies, anything with a character where it's like, they're like powerful, but like also like very, very like aware of like their weaknesses and their faults and like the things they've done wrong or even when they're not. So I like the whole idea of the humanity of like, it really shows people as, hey, you're doing all these bad things, but you're also like kind of good mm -hmm. or like you're a good person, but you've fallen into this bad situation. 
And I love that. I also love how fast the dialogue is. And that's really, like, I like that a lot of like, okay, cool, let's talk. And like, it's fast driven. It's very much like boom, 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 straight to the point. Um, yeah. And also my dad suggested it the first time I watched it. And so I felt like I was like, oh, let's just throw him in there. Yeah. <laughs> so there, have, there's this series that when you brought up Jessica Chastain, I completely forgot about this. And I don't remember the name. But there's this like interview series on Netflix. It's in black and white where um, this guy who's in the industry, I, I, again, I'm giving very little information because I don't remember. But he would interview different um, actors and creators um, and talk to them about how they go about their process, what that's like. And there's an episode with Jessica Chastain that I watched. And it was so interesting to listen to her talk about her process and how she got into the industry remember what the name of it is i will let you know because i feel like if you are a fan of jessica Chastain, then you will really love that episode um, yeah. of her talking about her process and i couldn't help but think about that the entire time that she was the entire time watching this film of thinking about all the work that she put in behind it um but it, i enjoyed the film immensely so i'm very glad that you suggested it <laughs> now yeah i also think it's fun just like the fact that like it's an interesting thing of like she's playing like a real person so there's all of that added in of like the character work of like you're this is a real person even though it's dramatized and everything like that like this is a real person you have to like do justice to like their story and bring it in even though it's like i mean edited because film but um yeah, like that was also like super cool as well. It's like, I always like that part of like, how do people play real people mm -hmm. like that are like people, people, not like obviously characters are real people, but like. Yeah, but it's based off a live human being that other people have interacted with. Right. Um, but it, I was looking, I couldn't really find, cause every time you search up like Molly's game or like Molly Bloom, Jessica Chastain is actually the first thing that comes up. So I didn't actually, I didn't delve that deep to like see if there were, like videos of Molly Bloom or whatever to like see if Jessica Chastain like really based her performance off of like the real live Molly Bloom or if she did a completely different like independent interpretation of her. Um, but that's, I really, I want to read her book now. Yeah, uh, that's what I was like, as well. I was like, man, I want to read this. Yeah. It would be weird to find the book and it not be Jessica Chastain on the cover of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would totally be expecting for Jessica Chastain to be the With cover girl of that at the bottom right that says now based on this movie or something like that they've done a book that like they had a life but then there was a book and then they made a, a movie on the book and now there's another book on the movie it's gonna be a whole <laughs> it goes on and on and on and on there's a podcast about it here we are here we are just continuing the adaptations until it's unrecognizable <laughs> Okay, well, we'll have you back on in like 20 episodes when there is the fifth adaptation of it. <laughs> that's, that's the game. <laughs> well, Brogan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and telling us about Elemental Women's Productions. We're going to link all of your stuff on our podcast so that people can keep up with the projects that you have coming um, and the important work that you really are doing um, to support the stuff, the, the causes on the ground. I think that is so awesome that you're doing that and we want to support that. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for coming and talking about it.
oh yeah, thank you, you guys, for having me. This is so much fun. I was like, oh yay. <laughs> you are more than welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Brogan Jessamine. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us about Elemental Women's Productions and all of the cool things that they have going on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I do want to mention for all of our listeners and all of our viewers that are out there that the goal of the Astoria Filmmakers Club is to help filmmakers in the area produce their original work and make films that we can all support and enjoy. So we're trying to put together a way to make donations happen, big or small, to the club. Uh, your donations go directly towards the club, this podcast, and any future productions or projects that the AFC will take on. So you can just look below us. I'm going to put in a QR code. Just scan the code. It will bring you directly to the official Venmo account. You can send 50 cents. You can send $20 million. You know, whatever you have. Don't, no pressure. But we would appreciate it, and it would go towards any future projects that the AFC works on. So, yeah. Awesome. But, for, but now, for now, let's talk about Molly's game. Yes. Now we have to do the rest of the podcast in unison. <laughs> um, let's talk about Molly's game. It came out in 2017. It follows the life of Molly Bloom. And she starts her life as a Olympic skier up and comer trying to get into the Olympics. Or was she in the Olympics? No, she was trying to qualify for the Olympic team. Right. And uh, literally trips on a stick on the most important run of her life. She sees her opportunity. It's happening. She knows if she does really well, she can succeed and beat, she, like, she'll make the team. And this is it. This is the biggest opportunity of her life. And a random stick trips her up and throws her off her entire game. And she goes tumbling, screws up her spine that's already screwed up. And basically sends her on a path of not ever being able to be in the Olympics. So now you have this person who's born and raised a winner, forced into the life of being a winner, basically, uh, who now can't do the thing that she's really great at. So she finds this other course of action to like become successful and become a winner of sorts. And it leads her somehow into the world of high stakes poker games with famous people and mobsters and criminals. Um, very interesting story. I knew yeah. nothing about this movie. I had to Google it for a summary to like, just know what I was getting myself into. But as soon as I Googled the summary, I saw Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, Michael Sarah, And I was like, I'm in. Yeah. The dream team. <laughs> um, all amazing actors. Michael Sarah was not a side character. He was pretty important, but interesting. He was a supporting character. Um, but I think the, the, what's fascinating about this is that it's, it's based on real life. Molly Bloom was a real person who was born and bred to be an Olympic skier. Um, and she did run the most successful high stakes, high profile, um, not the game wasn't high profile, but the people were high profile that attended the game um, ever. And she was, um, you know, indicted and, and charged by the U.S. government for breaking RICO laws, which all have to do with um, racketeering and illegal gambling and essentially um, 
the mafia and, and all the things that they do uh, to make money. And I think I love how they kind of mixed this script mixed real life with um, the fact that she changed the names in the book. They're, they are based on real people, but the names have been changed. So the names in the scripts were changed as well. And the they, character's name was Player X. Yes. And they didn't yes. want to actually say, it was Michael Sarah, which I don't think it was, but it who wasn't, it wasn't who him. Player X actually was. Did you find out who it was? I did not. I, there were rumors that it was like Toby Maguire or Topher Grace or somebody like that, but I don't, I don't, there's not any substantiated actual claims that I have found. Um, I didn't look very hard though. Um, but I think Michael Sarah was brilliant in that role. Absolutely brilliant in that role. Um, I, I love, I don't have a lot of experience with um, Aaron Sorkin as a writer. Um, but this, based on all of like the Family Guy jokes and like the, the you know, pop culture references to Aaron Sorkin's style, um, it's very fast paced. They talk very, very quickly. It's, but it's not hard to keep up with what they're saying and doing. Um, I just, I'm amazed at, at the speed at which they move forward in the script and the story. Um, and their handle on such fast dialogue too. Um, the, I, I love especially the, the back and forth between Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba, who plays her lawyer in this. Um, and, you know, cause she, she was actually poised, Molly was going to go to law school after the Olympics. She wanted to take a year off and she never ended up going back to law school. He's clearly, an extremely smart, extremely clever woman. Um, so in all of her back and forth with Idris Elba about the best way to like defend herself in this case, she's citing all of these laws and, and uh, you know, going through all of these precedents for how she can defend herself. Um, I just, I love how unapologetically clever and smart she is, um, her character is in this. Yeah. And I appreciate too, and this is one of the reasons that Idris Elba's character didn't, and this is just talking about the characters in the movie. I don't know how it actually played out in real life because I didn't really look into Molly Bloom's actual life and if this really happened, but the character of Idris Elba, his, her lawyer, basically took the case because in the courtroom realized she's a good person in a really bad situation. So she's a really good person that's done a lot of bad things, or even just sketchy things. Obviously, because she gets into a whole big thing about being a drug addict and she's taking all these different drugs. So it, it's not like she's completely innocent and she does take rakes from the game, which is illegal, and she does do things that she shouldn't have done, but she didn't try to murder anybody, which, happens to her spoiler alert and <laughs> there's a lot of crazy shit and it totally could have also gone way further basically the russian mob gets tied into it and idris elba at one point says they take care of their shit like they'll ba basically saying they will just murder you if they feel they need to and uh i think 
it's it's just an interesting and Jessica Chastain did a great job having this real person and portraying that real person as a super complex character that morally you want to side with because she seems to be doing the right thing but has all these other bad things that she's doing to keep the right thing intact and it's a very weird code that she's under she almost has like this weird mafia code of her own yeah i mean when you're in a world like that um tell me about your experience in the world like that <laughs> sounded like you were about to be like from my experience experience you know because clearly i've i've come across some really sketchy characters in my time yeah. no um but like i i you know you got to think that when when you're in a world like that regardless of like if you're if you are not a good person if you are a good person there's so much gray area to everything and i love that this film really highlights that like yes she was involved with not so good people yes there were mafia and mobsters that came to her games uh but she didn't necessarily know who they were and she didn't necessarily condone their actions she kept herself she was like i don't want to like i don't want to know any of the illegal gambling you might be doing you don't do it here this game is very specific you play poker that's it um and even after the fact she was very clear on like you know she would only name names that were already named by someone else she was not going to be the one to break her own code of ethics in the way that she uh ran the game and her name and who she is um so and i i love when they, she and Idris Elba have uh, a blow-up scene where he's like, why are you standing up and protecting all of these people who are terrible human beings and they're not even here for you? They're not even here. They're not even going to help you right now. You're here by yourself. Um, and her whole point is because I, it's, it's a, not about them. It's about me and who I am. And I think that it's, it's so good. It's so sharp. It's so smart. The script is really sharp. Um, and facts. That too. The dialogue is really like, th there's no room for changes or extra stuff. Every word that they spoke led directly to the story ahead of it. And there was no like sidetrack or anything like that. They, they threw in a few things about different books and the crucible and interesting things like that. Uh, I am looking up now who Player X was, and it does seem like it was uh, Tobey Maguire, which is kind of funny, just because Spider-Man, you know? Uh, but I, you know it's, it's interesting then to see, like, there's a reason why they picked Michael Sarah to play that role. You know, it's a very specific type of person that they were trying to, to show was uh, Player X. Um, yeah, but the, they also talk about, I'm reading this article, and it shows Tobey Maguire is like, was being that shady. He was a dick. Oh, yeah. People stuff, which is interesting, because I didn't know that about Spider-Man. Um, I'm also seeing other names on this list of people that were playing poker here. Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, good friends with Tobey Maguire, no? Very good friends with Tobey Maguire. Rick Solomon, uh, best known for his uh, 
fantastic sex tape with Paris Hilton. Oh, God. That's his claim to fame. Uh, ben Affleck, Alex Rodriguez, which they basically say who he is when they're, they're like, there's a famous Yankee player here that loves poker. And even if you don't know anything about the Yankees, you know who Alex Rodriguez is, you know who Derek Jeter is. So it's one of them. Right. Uh, the Olsen twins are on the list, which is crazy. They talk about more shitty things that Toby Maguire has done. So, I mean, obviously, these games were packed with huge celebrities, rich people, everywhere. So, I mean, it, it, the stakes of these games were super high. And basically, she could have made a fortune just saying who was at the games. Because as it went up the ranks in celebrity and and the level of rich people that were at these games, it started to get to the point where there was like international criminals at these games. So of course the FBI was trying to like get anytime you put a bunch of criminals in a room together, the FBI is like fuck up please fuck up so that we can swoop in and get all of you all at once in a big Rico bust. Um, and it's just kind of crazy that that led to Molly Bloom's involvement in this, which is like, she's throwing the card game for these people. And it's such, such like a side thing that they like raided her house with automatic guns and they took all of her money out of her bank account, just like that. And just crazy to think that, that's what government can do. Yeah. Especially because for the most part, she was actually doing everything legally. Even when it got to like the point where she was taking a rake from the game because she was extending lines of credit. Um, it's Idris Elba even says it in the film he's like she did what every casino in this country does so you know there's all these weird right like even her lawyer at the very beginning when she's thinking of starting her own poker game instead of helping run this other assholes um you know the lawyer says you don't want to break the law while you're breaking the law and she's like i thought i wasn't breaking the law he's like you're not <laughs> like it's not, you know, it's not super clear. Um, it's all there's so much gray area in it. Um, but it's so it's it's fascinating. I think um, it got some mixed reviews um, because the way that they put it out there, it is you know the the advertising the the trailers for it and everything. You know, it's fast paced. It looks like it's going to be like really action packed. It's not action-packed. Like, it's not, there's not, like, gunfights. There's not, like, chases. Like, you think when you hear the mob, like, there's going to be all this, you know, violence and stuff like that. It isn't that. But it's still, that doesn't make it any less fun of a watch for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wouldn't describe it as fun. But the, the action-packed stuff that you were looking for, it's there. And I think it's worse that it was one guy shows up at her front door, just fucking walks in, and puts a gun in her mouth. Yeah. That is so much more scary than 
10 guys busting the windows and, you know, guns going off. Crazy. Car chases. It's, it's much more frightening when it's reality yeah. and it's actually happening. Like a dude that's twice her size, she can't really do much. And the whole, you know, the, the man in me, the man brain is like, hit him, do something. Oh my God. But then she's dead and he kills her. And it's like, she, she was afraid for her life and this guy threatened her. And. But I think even like beyond just the, the actual violence that's, that's in the film, um, I think people were thinking it was going to be, you know, it, it was going to be these action-packed scenes of, of all that stuff. But all of the, the action in this comes from how precarious her situation is and how tense everything is. This could all fall apart at the drop of the hat. And you see her, and it, it flips back and forth between like present day where she's defending herself against the government and her telling the story of how she got there in the first place. So it keeps like flip-flopping back and forth in time. Um, so as you're watching her lead up to this defense, you're watching what got her there in the first place at the same time. So you're watching her start to make, and she says, even in it, she's like, this is when I was still making good decisions, you know, and, and she moves on to when clearly she starts to make bad decisions and you can, you can feel like the chips are about to fall. The dominoes are about to happen or whatever other poker term that she uses to describe all of this going downhill. Um, so that's where the tension and the action comes from. It's not from fights and car chases and, and, and violence and all that stuff. Because that's not what really happens in the real world, you know. No, no one has a twenty-minute car chase. Car chases, if ever they happen, they're like five minutes because a cop is gonna ram you off the road, get you away from people, and or you're gonna crash into a tree, you know, because you've never driven a car past a hundred miles an hour before. So it's kind of reality. And I think this movie was more realistic in its, in its situations. And knowing that these people really exist, like Player X is actually a person. And all these other people that she did name or were suggesting that they were involved in these games, they're real people and you've seen their faces, you know who they are. So it just felt real to me, more real than any normal action movie where there's stuff blowing up every 20 seconds. Yeah. I, I think this, this, this film adaptation of her book does a really good job of straddling that line of like, this is based on reality and real people, player X, um, uh, A-Rod, all of that, while still not quite naming them and using other actors and things to to portray them yeah. at the same time. Um, so I know I, I enjoyed it immensely. I thought it was um, very entertaining. Um, and I think it's one of like, we've had a lot of like serious, slow, like, you know, deep, dark films. And this was, it wasn't, you know, like a comedy or anything like that, but it was still, it was, it was a very entertaining watch. Yeah. I thought it was great the whole way through. Kevin Costner also, I thought he was fantastic towards the end of the film. He gave a really excellent performance. 
of what I imagine most fathers would. So basically, the roundup of his whole story is that he's the person pushing Molly to be the best skier. And then obviously she has this terrible accident and then she kind of goes AWOL and disappears and he says, look, I don't know how to support you. You're on your own. So years go by. She gets into this whole poker world. Her entire world turns upside down. This dude shows up at her door from the Russian mob, beats the crap out of her and puts a gun in her. Italian mob. Italian mob, right. The mobs. There's quite a few. Um, so these mobsters basically threaten her, pressuring her to give them tons of money and hire them as security, which seems like a backward step. Imagine applying for a job, and when you apply, you give your resume, and then they don't hire you. So you go in and beat the crap out of the general manager and say, I'll start on Monday. <laughs> what? Anywho, so all of this stuff happens, and... Kevin Costner, her father, finds out about it in her book. Does not even know about it until he reads her own, like his own daughter's book, which is crazy. So that whole scene with her on the park bench in Central Park and stuff after she's skating and that hit home because it was like, he, he was obviously so angry and had it all built up until he finally saw her and was speaking to her. So that performance was really great. I thought all the actors did a great job. All their performances were really solid, you know. Um, yeah, all around, very entertaining watch. It's on Netflix if anybody wants to go check it out. Netflix is always the easiest way to watch films. We always try. We've had a couple films come up on the podcast. It's something maybe we should mention that future guests, future day players, please pick something that's on Hulu or Amazon or Netflix because... There's some movies that you might suggest that we just have no way of watching right now unless we want to spend money. We don't have money. So, <laughs> reason, hey, donate to the Venmo and uh, we'll have a little bit of a budget. We can rent these movies and actually see them. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> great that it's on Netflix. Much appreciated. Uh, the budget for this movie, I believe, was $30 million which is pretty substantial. I imagine most of that went to Kevin Costner, um, Idris Elba, Jessica Chastain, Michael Sarah. The, they probably raked in about 10 million of that collectively. Maybe not, but it's still. And you think of like, even though like the locations and everything were um, extravagant, um, you know, and she's, you know, wearing all these, these crazy clothes and, and she's got, you know, an Audi and stuff like that, that she's driving, you know, I don't, I think they probably, it, it seemed actually like simple locations. Like while they said they were playing the game in the plaza, they might not have actually filmed in the plaza. They might've just filmed her coming out of it and then, you know, booked a cheaper place that they could set decorate to look like, you know, a suite at the plaza. Sometimes, too, these big-budget films can get away with things like saying, hey, we're going to feature the plaza. We're going to show it off and show it. But then on the other end of that, does the plaza want that press? Because then it's like, oh, the plaza's hosting these high-stakes gambling games and has all these mafia dudes coming, rolling around in it. That's not necessarily the best look. But that's an interesting thing, too, to consider is that 
they might have been like, hey, yeah, film here for free. We have no problem because it'll probably bring us a bunch of press. And then the movie comes out and they're like, shit, that's the wrong type of press. We don't want people to know that mafia dudes stay here. I mean, you gotta assume. <laughs> you gotta stay somewhere and they're not gonna stay on the street because they're <laughs> rich. Uh, so the budget for this film, $30 million. Box office, $59.3 million. So they pretty much doubled their money, which isn't too impressive for a film in 2017. Um, but, you know. Yeah, but it was, it, it was nominated for an Oscar, though, wasn't it? It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, I think. Let's find out. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, first of all, very well-known filmmaker. Well, this was his first foray into directing a feature-length film, wasn't it? This was his first time in the director's chair for that? That is quite possible. Because I know, obviously, like, he had run television shows and, like, he had written um, The Social Network. I don't think he directed it, though. Hmm. I'm not seeing anything. I mean, obviously, he did direct this film. I'm not seeing anything that says, like, it was his first... Oh, no, wait. Here it is. Screenwriter Aaron Sorkin, who made his directorial debut on the film. So there you go. Yeah. Um, some filmmakers, too. We, we always think, like, the filmmaker is the director. That's not necessarily the case. A lot of times they're producers, and they hire directors, because directors are really good at working with actors. And sometimes you have filmmakers that have great ideas, and they're great writers, but they're not good at talking to people. And sometimes actors can be a little weird. You got people out there like Joaquin Phoenix, who's a little nutty, and you can't go up to Joaquin Phoenix and tell him how to play the Joker. So you have to have somebody that knows how to talk to the guy. So that's a thing. Um, yes, looking at more information here. It seems like they've slowly built the cast up. It looks like they took almost a whole year to get the cast right for this film. I'm seeing that, that's huge, though, for this film because I mean, and and in almost in every film, casting is like ninety percent of it. I think is the saying. But you you get the right cast. If you get the wrong cast, you know, yeah. you know, this doesn't work. You get the right cast. And I mean, casting is an art form. It really, really is in getting the right people together. Um, so I'm glad they took their time because this cast works very well. Yeah, they, apparently they cast Jessica Chastain in February of 2016. And then it wasn't until May that they cast Idris Elba. And then it wasn't until September that they got Michael Sarah on board. And then it wasn't even until October that Kevin Costner joined the script. Wow. Almost, almost 10, what is that, 10 months? It's eight. Yeah, that's eight months. Has coronavirus been going on? Imagine it took all of coronavirus to cast your movie. Uh, Insane. If, but, but if I'm getting a cast that's that good, then take all the time. Right. All yeah. The time. What's, what's your next play called? With Dignity. <laughs> With Dignity, starring Jessica Chastain, Idris Elba, Michael Sarah and Kevin Costner coming. 
none of those people actually fit the roles, I still would be interested to see how they do it. <laughs> Idris Elba calls you and says, I'd love to be in your play. <laughs> Whatever accent Idris Elba has, you're gonna be like, all right, I guess I can write in a rugged 45 year old black man into this play right now. <laughs> you're gonna do it. It's gonna uh, happen. If he calls, then I'll think about right. it. Idris Elba calls you tomorrow. Uh, the film premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, which is a running theme in this podcast. I feel like a lot of films premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. I feel like that keeps coming up. Um, and it was, uh, I don't, it doesn't really say if it was well received or anything. I remember when I was, I was, you know, Googling information on, on Molly Bloom, um, like I said with, uh, Brogan that a lot of the stuff that came up is about the movie and not necessarily about her in her real life. Um, but I was seeing, you know, lots of reviews that were popping up from, you know, like TV guide website and like all this other stuff, um, about, you know, mixed reviews, like it's sharp, it's smart. It's not as action packed as you think it's going to be, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I think if you actually give it a chance, I think sometimes though, things are marketed so wrong and that ruins the chance for it. Like I remember thinking, this is not obviously my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie, um, but I think it was really, the movie was really smart and had a great twist, but it was marketed incorrectly. Um, it was, um, what was the film with Bryce Dallas Howard? It's not Signs, it was one after that where they were in a settlement and they had like a monster that was like patrolling the area. Do you remember which one that is? Jurassic Park. Not Jurassic Park. It's an accurate description. You can't discredit that. Uh, not really, because I said they were in a settlement. Right. The dinosaurs were in a settlement. Uh-huh. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan. We're going to go on IMD Pro here and check it out. Do it. Um, but I, that movie was marketed as like a horror film which they do with a lot of his films they're actually they're thrillers they have a twist to it and i was so i don't like horror films i went with all my friends when it came out um i was so let down because it wasn't a horror film you know right. um, so i feel like when they do when they show films like that or when they market them like that, it's never a good thing. It really can hurt the way a film is received. Yeah. I'm looking too, I'm seeing a bunch of other movies that came out the same week as Molly's Game. Molly's Game came out on Christmas Day in North America, 2017. Uh, and it came out five days after The Greatest Showman, which is obviously the one also pitch perfect three came out a couple days before it jumanji welcome to the jungle star wars came out a week before it i tanya two weeks before it which is a competition yeah there's a lot of movies here that definitely would have given it a run for its money i tanya being a funny comparison that's kind of a similar format to having this woman-led film that's about a real person and all the crazy shit that went on in their life and how it all got out of hand all at the same time. Um, 
Yeah. Just, and, and Shyamalan film is The Village. Village. That's what I'm Village. Called. Never seen it. It's, I mean, I would give it a watch. It's not something that I would watch on repeat. I don't think it's his, his strongest work, but I think that it was not given a fair shake because of the way it was marketed. It was marketed like a horror film and it is not a horror film. Sometimes films do that. They, they try to market themselves. These companies that are distributing the film, they put it out there in a certain light and they show it off. And you know what? Superhero movies, I'll talk about those just because they are the thing I know the most about. Um, they suck at trailers sometimes. Sometimes you watch the trailer and you're like, oh, do I need to see this movie? Because I just saw 85% of what happens in it in the trailer. So, I don't know. Sometimes the marketing for movies is so bad. And sometimes it's so good. Um, another superhero reference here Deadpool Deadpool was a movie being struggled to come into light for like 10 years and then someone accidentally leaked out this clip of Deadpool up on a ledge over a highway and he just jumps off lands in a car starts murdering people this clip went so viral and Ryan Reynolds did the voiceover for it and everything it was like a screen test it went so viral that people got so excited for this movie that it happened because it wasn't going to happen. And then people got so excited for it, then they made it the right way. And Deadpool is obviously a mega franchise of its own now. At the time, it was the highest money-making R-rated film of all time. So marketing can sometimes make a movie or even bring a movie into existence that didn't exist before. But when you have a case like this where the marketing isn't exactly what the film is, people go in with these expectations and it, it throws the whole thing off, throws off the whole experience. Like if I went into the next Iron Man movie or Avengers movie and it was really slow and sad and there wasn't a lot of action, be like, what the hell, man? What is this soap opera I'm watching? I mean, blow something up. Why <laughs> 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 would be sitting in the audience? Blow it up. Like, <laughs> that is what you go to those movies for. That's what I want to see. Look, I don't even like going to the movie theaters anymore. And I mean, I, I'm talking about pre COVID here, but I, you tell me, hey, let's go to the movie theater and spend. 20 something dollars on a movie ticket because that's what it costs here in New York and then you get there and nothing blows up come on <laughs> um, if I'm going to see a movie on the big screen I want it to be ridiculous I want it to be aliens coming out of the sky theaters not necessarily 3D but if it could be that'd be great 3D aliens everywhere they're all around you turn around they're behind you I just want to live in a planetarium movie. That's what I want. Well, now that we've uh, talked about your deepest dreams that you have to live in a planetarium movie yep. theater, <laughs> I think we've kind of hit all of the, the points here on Molly's Game. Yeah. Overall, it is a great watch, and you guys should check it out. It might not necessarily be for everybody, but I liked it. Yep. I thought it was excellent.
Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for the AFC podcast. Again, you can watch us on YouTube. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox. We want to thank Rogan for joining us and telling us about Elemental Image Productions, the awesome things that they're doing not only to further women in this profession, but also to help uh the causes that they write about, that they produce about. Um, I think it's really awesome. We'll link everything so that you can keep an eye on them. Um, and for the ASC podcast, my name is Victoria Fragnito. And I'm Jim Belizia. We'll see you guys next time. Welcome to the AFC Podcast. My name is Jim Galizia. My name is Victoria Fragnito. Today we're going to have our day player, Phil Capadora, Tim Dowd, Nora 